Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat, another FA Cup upset to unpick and the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final against Liverpool to preview, as well as a discussion over the results of our Arsenal Beat Mid-Season Player of the Year award. I'm Simon Collings from the Evening Standard and I'm joined today by the Guardians' Nick Ames and Kai Kynak of Football London. We were all there at uh, Nottingham Forest on Sunday. Nick, I'll start with you. Um, what did you make of the performance and how much of a surprise was it for you? Because for me personally, I thought we had got past these days of lacklustre and ponderous performances from Arsenal. That felt like a bit of a relic to the past. Yeah, I guess um, I guess we have to remember that a performance like the Everton game, which this was quite similar to in many ways, was only a month or so back. And and I and I think things don't necessarily turn around that quickly. But yeah, I, I was surprised given the, um, the recent form in the league, the recent run of goals. Um, it just felt flat, didn't it? And it emphasised again, I think, that beneath the core 13 or 14 or maybe 15 players, the squad does need filleting a bit and then thickening back out with a bit more quality in order in order to be able to sustain challenges on on, on multiple fronts. I, I, I was I was fairly I thought the starting lineup was probably I know there were lots of injuries and COVIDs and AFCONs, but the starting lineup was good. Like you had the three behind the centre forward that I think people want to see most weeks, notwithstanding Emil Smith though, who was out with a, a minor injury, we think. Um, had Enketia up top, who'd obviously just just proved himself quite well in the Carabao Cup, and and I think this was a big chance for him that he obviously fluffed a little bit. Um, and I don't, I don't think there was a lot wrong with that starting lineup, but it was it was incredibly flat. The tone was set very very quickly. Forest were Forest were lively. They went at hundred miles an hour. They had a great pace down um, down the flanks, especially the right with their wing back Spence and, and, and the forward Brennan Johnson, who I thought was really really good. And it was I I felt sorry for Nuno Tavares when he was taken off after thirty five minutes, but his performance was it epitomised what else was going on out there, and I think maybe. It's always a bit of a calculated risk from a manager when he does something like that. At least you um, you like to think it is, and he's not been too impetuous because you've got to think about the impact that something like that will have on, on the rest of the team. But presumably, Arteta wanted to send a message there about standards. And I mean, we saw that back pass that, um, that Tavares, I think, in about the 10th minute, fired towards Bernd Leno with his right foot at about chest height and I think Leno had like shoulder it out of play almost and and okay errors like that happened but it was sloppy it was slack it was wasn't lazy but it was sloppy and I think I I think um things like that you just wouldn't see Arsenal doing in a league game at the moment and I think that was it they were just a notch or two below where they would be in a game that I think that meant more if, if you see what I mean it was it was just a very disappointing afternoon. No no shots on target, one real chance, which was that Enketia header, which he he fluffed really badly from about five or six yards, probably fifteen minutes before the winning goal was it? And there was just never never that spark, never that intensity. Difficult first day. Maybe maybe we'll come on to it actually for for Charlie Patino. The game mainly went on around him. I don't think that was his fault, by the way. Um, a lot of senior players didn't step up. 
And I think it was, yeah, it felt like a step backwards in terms of the squad and what it can do to compete on multiple fronts. I think there's clearly a lot to be done there. Mm. On um, on Nuno, Kaya, um, we were we were sat next to each other and we sort of noticed probably a few minutes before we came on that it looked like Arsenal were going to make a change. Tierney was getting up, then he was sitting down, he was chatting to Steve Brown, he was back in his seat. What did you make of the whole situation and taking Nuno off? I think, I think most fans um, agree his performance was poor, but I think there are some wondering whether it's a little harsh to hook someone 35 minutes into a game. Yeah, you could tell from the very beginning his head wasn't really in the game. I can't remember exactly when it was, whether it was before the back pass or not, but there was a moment where he he had the ball under control under his feet and it just rolled underneath him out of play. And it was just, he wasn't there. He he was there in body, but not in spirit. He just, it's, something wasn't right with him. And he's had those momentary lapses of concentration. We think back to Anfield, we think back to Old Trafford, where he did give away goals with uh, errors, but we've never seen it sustained over a period like that. And I think, you could tell Arteta was getting more and more wound up uh, across the game. And maybe Nuno was just unfortunate in the sense that he was right in front of Mikel Arteta and where he was in the touchline. But I don't necessarily think it was the the errors that were were the reason why he was taken off. I think it was um, Arteta was constantly signalling to Nuno where he should be standing on the pitch and he wasn't doing it. And we've seen that with Arteta, if you're not following his positional sort of rules, then he doesn't really sort of care what the consequences are. He will... I remember there was a game maybe a year or so ago where Gabriel Martinelli was subbed at halftime when he wasn't standing in the right place against Man United. That's my only issue with this Nuno Tavares substitution is that it happened in the 34th minute and not at halftime. I think we all agree that Nuno was having a bit of a stinker and that can happen. He's only 21. Um, you know, he's learning, he's still young and he'll bounce back from it, hopefully. But I don't necessarily think the best thing to do was to make Nuno the story of the game. And now we're all talking about him. And immediately he's gone from being a young player who I think we were all surprised by how good he was in those first few games and someone who we rated quite highly to being someone who I think most Arsenal fans are now a little bit worried about if Kieran Tierney gets injured coming into the team. And that seems to be of Arteta's doing and maybe is a little bit unfair on Nuno. So maybe it could be managed a little bit differently, but I, I think taking him off probably was the right decision. It's it's a it's a good point that I think about half time because actually I I felt that in those moments just before and after the half hour Arsenal had actually relative to their overall performance started to get a little bit of control they'd had a couple of shots wide of the near post first had sort of started to get a bit less joy than they got in those opening 20-25 minutes so given things had settled down a little bit, even if you, you think or don't think that Nuno was having a stinker, would it have just been better to hook him at half-time and then and then nobody, the next time Nuno Tavares is selected in a starting 11, which could be at some point in the next week, we don't know, no one's going, oh, what about that though? You know, it's... It, it's I, I, I see that point. I think it's a good one. You touched on, on Charlie Patino before. Um, I think really the whole left side of that of that pitch really did struggle. And I think that's because normally you'd have, you know, Gabriel, Granite Xhaka, Tierney, and that was completely taken out. And you had Nuno holding and Patino never played together, obviously. Patino certainly lacking experience. How do you think Patino got on? And was this 
perhaps, I know it's never a good thing for a player to have an average poor game, but quite good just to dampen a bit of the excitement and, and hype around him, maybe. Yeah, I thought I thought he was fine. Like I, I remember I think it was after, after about forty seconds he he snapped in into a little tackle mm. um, down by the touchline below us and you know conceded a throw in, but the bench were happy with that. And you know it's it's the kind of one that gets you into into the pace of a game. But at the end of the day, he is what eighteen. He was coming up against a championship team that can play at a ferocious pace. The players around him were, as you were saying, not at it. And I just, I. I don't think he had a bad game. I just don't think I don't think we saw a lot of him. I think his head was up. He was trying to get involved. There was again in that period of, of reference, just either side of half time. I felt he was getting on it on it a bit more, finding a few positions. But yeah, there was no relationship, was there really? Especially with the guys on on um, on that left hand side, they all struggled in different ways. We we saw that withholding. Forest were quite happy to let him have the ball, for example, and we saw him get skin a couple of times quite badly um and i yeah i think it tells people that you can't just stick an 18 year old wonder kid in and see him get a goal every game or see him run rings around people every game but i thought it was fine i don't think it was a performance that would encourage Mikel arteta or not encourage Mikel arteta to play him again but i think it maybe wasn't a game for him to shine mm. Uh, I'll give you the last word on on Forrest Kaya. Um, Eddie Nketiah, not the best game from him. And given, you know, everything that's going on around him at the moment, his contract situation, talk from leaving the club, leaving the club. And I was sat behind um, the TalkSport guys and Trevor Sinclair was pretty scathing about, you know, Nketiah's in the shop window at the moment. This is a game, you know, national TV, everyone's got their eyes on it. And he didn't really have the greatest of games. Do you think... Um, it, it was an, an indication for Arsenal that they need to do something up front going forward. And, and what did you make of his performance? I was really disappointed by it because for me, I've been I've been excited to see Eddie play with um, sort of the first choice um, three in behind him rather than the Carabao Cup three in behind him. So this was probably set up for him in an attacking sense. Obviously, the midfield and defence didn't have their best of games, but the forwards were the team, the players you'd expect to play in the Premier League. So it was set up for him to to play well and he didn't do it. I mean, he had, his chances were limited and we've got to sort of factor that into consideration. Obviously, in recent weeks, Arsenal have been creating chances galore and Eddie didn't have that. He had two, really. I think Nick mentioned that header earlier and then there was one where he sort of fashioned it for himself and his left foot inside the six-yard box where he fired it straight over the bar. But he looked a little bit sluggish and he didn't really look like someone who necessarily believed there was a place in the first team at stake for him. I personally think that if he'd, really played really well, then he could have potentially been in the frame for a start at Anfield on Thursday. You don't really know what the situation is in terms of fitness with all the other players. So who's to say? I, I think I agree with you now that based on that poor performance and we've seen Nketi do well in the Carabao Cup, but when it comes to a higher level of opposition, he struggles. So we're all asking ourselves now, what happens to Lac- if something happens to Lacazette, then what happens to Arsenal because that means Eddie's starting up front and I think that would concern most people watching Arsenal in terms of attacking force he doesn't offer that dropping deep to create the link-up play that Lacazette does when he's not scoring goals so if Eddie's not scoring goals and not taking those chances then there's not much that he brings to the table so yeah it does look like a striker is now top of the agenda because we all know what's going on with Aubameyang Balogun's expected expected to steal his loan when I think he's out of isolation from COVID. And I think Martinelli has shown that he's better on the left wing 
in recent weeks than up front. So centre forward and centre mid have sort of very quickly become positions of real urgency for Arsenal. I think they'll be able to get by in centre mid when the AFCON players come back, but, but obviously that's another debate as to whether that's too long a time to wait. But centre forward going on for the rest of the season, I don't think they can continue with just Lacazette as their only option. And the club, I think, would probably quite like to get a fee for Inkesa if they can this window. So if they can find a way to do that, then I think they will try to. And yeah, I think bringing a new striker in definitely has to be high on the agenda. Yeah, given the transfer windows open, I think that was that was a performance that added um, fuel to the rumour mill. So we're going to have to see how that develops over the month. Next on the horizon is the Liverpool game on Thursday at Anfield. We'll come on to the team and selection, what Arteta does, but we'll start, Nick, just with a story that's been sort of developing over the past week and it's accelerated in the last sort of 24 hours and pretty much as we're recording now as well with the situation around Liverpool, obviously. They didn't have the game take place last week. Um, Klopp came out after the FA Cup game and explained it a lot of false positives and now there's stories from the athletics saying that clubs within the EFL not you know necessarily Arsenal but clubs who play in you know League One League Two Championship where there have been a lot of postponements and games also not postponed are pretty unhappy about the situation and how it's transpired I mean what have you made of it all Nick certainly from the fans perspective on Twitter there seems to be an outrage mainly at the lack of transparency because we don't really know what the severity of the outbreak was at, at Liverpool it's it's the lack of transparency and like as I say, we don't really know what was a positive, what was a false positive, who was in what position. And I, I know that you can't, you can't release before a game a list of who has necessarily got, got COVID and who hasn't, because some some people don't want that known. But it's, I, I, I just think it would have been so much easier just to create a situation right at the outset where we knew what caused the game to be off and what didn't. And it still seems to be on, on the hoof, different rules for every, every for every single competition. And I think that there was also a chance to nip this in the bud quite early on in December when it was clear that, that this Omicron was going to cause various extensive problems. We, we don't quite know the extent at certain clubs now, such as Liverpool, but they could have just agreed to run these these two-legged semi-finals in a single leg and then you'd probably have found that in some instances clubs were happier to play the game <laughs> or, or, or get it done and I think it's just now caused a bit of a log jam and as I say it's, it, it's almost quite hard to comment on because we're getting new information all the time and a little bit in the dark and the Liverpool situation seems utterly bizarre to me I, I, I don't want to accuse people of covering stuff up or lying or, or something like that but something hasn't been quite right about the whole way this is, this is conducted but this could have been headed on very early on by just making it clear what causes it, causes it again to be on or off and to make the semi-finals one leg mm. I don't want to get too bogged down in false positives and lateral flows and all that stuff but in terms of the games being switched Kaya um Arsenal obviously go to Anfield first now and then second leg at Emirates. Do you think that is a big advantage for them and perhaps, you know, part of the reason why we haven't seen a huge public outcry from Arsenal about, you know, anything that's happened at Liverpool? And, you know, Arteta hasn't seemed to complain at all in the media. There's obviously been no statements to probably that. Do you think that might be partly where 
they've actually got quite a good arrangement now where they're going to be at home for that second leg, given how difficult we know it is going to Anfield. Maybe. I, th- I think Arteta isn't really one to complain about these kind of things anyway, just from what we've seen in the past from him. He's, he's always very clear that he's the type of guy who doesn't want to make excuses. And even with refereeing decisions, he's, he's generally pretty sort of reserved when it comes to too much criticism. So I don't know about that. I just think, yeah, home and away advantage, the Carabao Cup, the, the away goals don't really make as much of a, a difference. So it's less of a, a thing. But I think, yeah, it's it could be good for Arsenal to sort of have that second leg at home. But at the same time, I think now they don't have, well, they're likely not to have Granite Xhaka due to COVID. Going to Anfield first looks like a real issue. Um, the midfield is going to be in big trouble, I think, if we if Nottingham Forest is anything to go by. So I don't really, it's just difficult to say uh, with this home advantage. Obviously, Anfield is such a, a difficult place to go to. And if Arsenal go there and get absolutely hammered like they did earlier in the season, then it won't really make much of a difference whether they're home or away in the second leg. But um, I guess, I don't know, it's probably not a very good answer, but I guess we'll have to wait and see on it, I'm afraid. Yeah, Nick, what do what do you think um, Arteta will do about midfield and what would you do about the midfield? I've seen some fans saying, you know, let's, Let's put Callum Chambers in there. Some fans saying put Ben White in there. Some saying get Jack Wilshere back. I know that doesn't seem a go. You asked Arteta about that at the last press conference. And I think he was pretty clear that's not going to be a go. So what do you think Arteta will do at, at Anfield? Because he's, he's got an issue there. Is Xhaka going, um, going to be back or not? Do we know that? This is the, this is the debate. We don't know with Xhaka if he's going so, to be back. We also don't know his vaccination status. And the Swiss FA said, Last time he tested positive, he hadn't been jabbed, which would mean 10 days. We don't know if that's changing. And so there's a lot of unknowns, but at, yeah, the, ta- at the time, it doesn't look like he's going to make it. Yeah, he's very short on options. And, and really at Anfield, I think for this game, it's going to be important to roll as strongly as Arsenal can. I don't think you want to go in, into that Spurs game. And Spurs have got weaknesses, by the way. We know that. And I, and I think Son's going to be missing, isn't he? But you don't want to... When I go into that on, on, on the back of a defeat at Forest and a, and a bad defeat at Anfield, I, I think there can be a good defeat on Thursday and a bad one. We, we all know that. Um, so Laconga, despite having a pretty bad game, to be honest, is going to have to play. If, if Shaq is available, you, you stick him in there and have done with it. And that should be a competitive midfield. If not, it's tough. You, you probably would be tempted. I, I, I don't mind the Ben White idea. I don't mind that idea. He's done that for Brighton quite a lot of times. Saw him do it last season. Did well. Uses the ball well. Knows when to drop in. Feels quite comfortable in that role. I just... um, I I don't think this is one for Charlie Patino. And that is not... Again, he didn't do badly the other day, but I think you're going to need some experience out there on Thursday. You're not going to want to get rolled over. You want to keep it quite solid. I think Ben White in there is not a terrible idea. The other option that you could do as well is move Martin Odegaard a bit deeper, which is a position that he has occupied before in his career. There's a lot of pluses to that too, because he's quite good at receiving the ball with his head up and then going through the gears, maybe breaking the lines from deeper could be useful. That's a thing that maybe Shaka, Shaka brings when he's in, that maybe Odegaard could bring in, in that position. So you'd probably, if you were missing Shaka, I'd be looking at Ben White with a bit of a shout for Odegaard. Now, I know they're very different players, <laughs> um, but, but hopefully you see my logic. It's, it's going to be a bit of a case of making do, I think. But I think experience is going to be quite important. 
yeah, it, it doesn't feel like a game for for Patino. I think that's that's absolutely spot on, particularly after you know he's only played four days ago and going to Anfield. Everyone knows what can happen today. I think Lacongra had a pretty difficult game last time. The other area of team selection I'm intrigued about, Kaya, is goalkeeper. Um, I thought Bayern Leno had a pretty good game, actually, at Forest. Didn't he? he did much wrong. But do you wonder whether Arteta might go with Ramsdale for this, partly because of his distribution, but also, you know, he speaks a lot about what Ramsdale emits from his character, his personality. And I just wonder for a semi-final big game up at Anfield, whether he decides to go for his number one or do you think he'll stick loyal to Leno? It's one of them where if the if the schedule if the fixtures were being played when they were originally scheduled, then I think no doubt it would have been Leno in the first leg, Leno at Forest, and then if needed Ramsdale in the second leg and at Spurs, obviously. Now it's a lot more difficult a situ- uh, decision to make. Um, personally, I, I think that if you're playing the cup competition, then you should probably honour your your promises to the cup goalkeeper and allow him to play because now Arsenal are out of the FA Cup. This is probably one of, what, three games Bernardo is realistically going to be able to play in before the end of the season. So I personally would look to use him. I know Ramsdale is probably the better goalkeeper, better with his feet, um, better in one-on-one situations. And um, if, again, Nottingham Forest is anything to go by, it looks like the goalkeeper might be relatively busy on Thursday night. So you might want to go for your first choice. But I think... In terms of keeping players happy, which is something Arteta has been very big on in the past, uh, it's important to give the cup goalkeeper the opportunity in the cups. And it's it's a weird sort of quirk of the scheduling that the two cup games are coming back to back. But I, I personally think that you have to be fair to Bern Leno and, and give him these cup games, especially now that Arsenal are out of the FA Cup, because it doesn't seem like he's going to get many more minutes until the end of the season. Otherwise. Nick, I'll let you have the last point on um, on this game. You've probably seen Liverpool a bit more than, than Cara, and I know you uh, obviously get to go around a bit more. And this is going to be a very different Liverpool team to the one we've seen terrorise the Premier League. Obviously, definitely no Salah, no Mane. How different do you predict this them to go with this team? Do you think Klopp will want to go as strong as he can, given obviously you know injuries, COVID cases, or do you think Klopp might try and? again, rest and look more at the Premier League and obviously that they're down the line they've got the Champions League as well. I think Klopp will go fairly strong. I think he knows that, I, I assume he will have a good idea that Arteta will do the same and you don't want to lose a semi-final. So I think, yeah, Liverpool are, are going to be weakened. So this is a big opportunity, I think, for Arsenal if, if he gets his selection right. No selling their money, as, as you, you just said, cater unavailable. Other issues too, some of which we know about, some of which we don't. But I I don't think you're going to see a team of callow kids. Um, the lad who, who, who scored the other day in the FA Cup, um, Kate, um, Kate Gordon, isn't it? Is a yeah. very, very, um, very, very good young player. I, I watched him in the tie at Norwich earlier in, in, in the competition. Um, be very interesting to see him get a start in a game of this stature against opponents of this stature. Um, I'd expect him, him to be involved if not if not start the game. But I think he'll go as strongly as um, as possible. And look, they've still got, as we know, their their second choice front line, um, so to speak, is still pretty impressive. But I think this is a chance for Arsenal to come away with a decent result, either either a narrow defeat or something more, and set up a really rousing second leg. Um, if we were talking about a full fat Liverpool with Salamane and all the rest, then then you'd be a bit more concerned.
our last show was our mid-season awards. Um, Aaron Ramsdale was crowned signing of the season. Alexander Lacazette's finish against Southampton won goal of the season. And the 3-1 win over Tottenham was named game of the season. The panel also made their predictions for the second half of the season and gave their nominations for player of the season so far. And we have the results from our listeners who were voting in for player of the season so far. Over 5,000 of you voted on Twitter, so thank you for doing that. Uh, in fourth place, we had Gabrielle with 8.4% of the vote. Third place, Beth Mead with 8.8% of the vote. Second, Emil Smith-Rowe with 25.2% of the vote. And with a whopping 57.6% of the vote was Aaron Ramsdale. Guys, what do we make of, of those results? Kaya, that's a pretty it's a pretty convincing win for Aaron Ramsdale. Um, I mean, Smith-Rowe's been fantastic. Perhaps it's a bit of recency bias. He's dropped out the team a bit. But any complaints with Ramsdale getting getting the award? No, not at all. I, I think we all, we all really uh, have been pleasantly surprised by how good Aaron Ramsdale has been because we have to remember that it's only in August where people were really quite seriously questioning the wisdom of spending $24 million at least on a goalkeeper who many thought was going to be the backup this season. He's completely defied all those expectations. He's now probably um, in the frame to be England's number one goalkeeper as well as Arsenal's number one goalkeeper. He's excellent with his feet. Uh, I think that's completely changed the way Arsenal build from the back and it's allowed Arsenal to play with a much higher line as well. He's brilliant with one-on-ones and uh, yeah, makes some outstanding saves that we saw in that game against Leicester. So yeah, I think he's up there with the best goalkeepers in the Premier League and I think, you know, this is something where I think 99.9% of observers of that signing sort of have to eat a bit of humble pie because none of us were expecting him to be anywhere near as good as he's been and he's, yeah, I think not just Arsenal signing of the season, I'd, I'd argue Premier League signing of the season. Nick, do you think these results might might change over the course of, of the second half campaign? Or do you think when we pod again in, in May, June time, Ramsdale will, will be player of the season? Well, it should be Smith, though. Um, but, <laughs> but, 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 um, but, um, but I'm definitely a humble pie eater on Ramsdale and he comes a close second. I, I, um, I mean, wouldn't surprise me at all if we were having that exact same debate, to be honest, in four or five months' time. Um, see, see if Martin Eddie can keep up his upturn in form, and well, I say upturn, just his very good form, and he could be up there. Um, Thomas Party, if he comes back in a in a in, in the same way that he left against City, but I think we're probably going to be looking at that couple of players and maybe Bakayo Saka as well, who who um, who I think after a slightly slow start, we would all say to this season has been has been really really impressive in in the past month to six weeks mm, my outside bet is Dusan Vlajevic wins player of the season I think he's going to come in storm it fans are going to fall in love with him but no that is not me saying he's signing for the club just to clarify that um, anyway thank you all for listening hopefully you can enjoy the week's football Liverpool and Tottenham we'll be back of course to keep you up to date with all those but until then stay safe and thank you very much mm-hmm.